This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror and sci-fi films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Eugenics. I'm going to be sharing a bit of history on eugenics, where we've seen it pop up in some previously uh, discussed here on the pod films, and delve into some more specifics related to eugenics as framed in the 1997 much more sci-fi than horror, I admit, film, Gattaca, directed by Andrew Nichol and with a stacked cast. You've got Gore Vidal, Tony Shalhoub, Blair Underwood, Ernest Bornine, Elias Codias, and our main characters played by Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, and Jude Law. But before I get into the film, I want to give a little bit of the background context, uh, definition, and history of eugenics. So, what is eugenics? Well, a basic definition is that uh, the word itself, eugenics, is derived from the Greek word eugenis, or eugenis, which means good in birth or good in stock. What is the practice or philosophy of eugenics and the history behind it? Well, much of this is going to be coming from the National Human Genome Research Institute, which I'll link in the show notes. The Institute defines eugenics as the scientifically erroneous theory that humans could be improved via selective breeding. The foundation of this was a prejudiced and incorrect understanding of Mendelian genetics that claimed abstract human qualities, intelligence, human behaviors, social behaviors, were inherited in a simple fashion. Similarly, complex diseases and disorders were solely the outcome of genetic inheritance. The word eugenics was first used by Charles Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, in 1883 in the book called Inquiries into Human Fertility and Its Development. Here's the excerpt. We greatly want a brief word to express the science of improving stock, which is by no means confined to questions of judicious mating, but which, especially in the case of man, takes cognizance of all influences that tend in however remote a degree to give to more suitable races or strains of blood a better chance of prevailing speedily over the less suitable than they otherwise would have. The word eugenics should sufficiently express this idea. So that is the excerpt, and yes, this is from the brain, 
of Charles Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton. So you can also see that in respects to the Mendelian aspect, um, you also have a little bit of Darwinism that's peppered in with some of the philosophies around eugenics. But really what this verbose motherfucker was really wanting to get at was that he thought only certain people should breed, i.e. the uh, judicious mating, because they had what he deemed as the desirable or more sustainable traits, the good genes, to pass down. The concept of traits being inherited or passed down wasn't new, but for Galton, this was... Uh, the foundation of building a particularly racist, ableist wing to the existing house of kind of the genetic ideals of the time, I guess you could say. By the 1920s, the popular the popularity or support of eugenics had spread globally in countries like Canada, Mexico, United States, Italy, and Great Britain. You had a wide array of folks that supported the ideas of eugenics. You had statisticians, economicists, public health officials. This leads into what many associate with eugenics, which is Nazi Germany and the lead up to World War II. Between 1933 and 1945, it is reported that 70,000 adults and 5,200 children deemed unworthy of life were euthanized. There was also a campaign of forced sterilization and this had a reported toll of 400,000 victims. Now those targeted were obviously those that were Jewish, other ethnic minorities like Sinti or Roma, LGBTQ plus folks, and those with physical or mental health issues. In the U.S., uh, eugenics had a specifically racist foundation that was connected with slavery. Those in North America supporting eugenics declare certain folks unfit, specifically targeting those of Latinx or Hispanic uh, background, Native Americans, African Americans, poor whites, and individuals with disabilities, and this played out in over 60,000 involuntary sterilizations supported by 30 state laws by the 1970s. The tenor of eugenics changes in the 1970s, and this culminates with the 1978 Federal Sterilization Regulations created by the United States Department of Health, Education, and Welfare which is now known as the United States Department of Health and Human Services, which outlines a variety of prohibited sterilization practices that were often used previously to coerce or force women into sterilization. Now, these sterilizations often happened in institutions, whether they be uh, prisons, jails, or mental health um, institutions, this is really where a lot of these forced sterilizations were occurring, but also uh, individuals that were getting sterilized, um, you know, just by their doctors. Um, if 
they were deemed, you know, to fall into certain categories, I guess. Now, like I said, a lot of this background is going to come from the National Human Genome Research Institute, which is linked. So if you want to delve more into, you know, um, some of the specific background pieces, uh, there could be some more information there. But, you know, I think it's just really important to note that, especially, you know, in the 1920s, 30s, etc., especially in the U.S., uh, eugenics had a kind of real popularity and you had real scholars of the time that were supporting its basic tenets. So it's, you know, when we get into the 70s and now we're starting to veer away from some of the more grievous pieces of kind of how eugenics is enacted here in the U.S., uh, it's important to note that you know, these things aren't just easily shook off by a change in law, that these are still ideas that permeate certain, um, you know, ideas within medicine, etc. And so I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. And that gets into asking what I think is now a key question, which is, is eugenics still practiced today? Well, that's a difficult question, and I think I will say a bit of a hot take here and say in, to some degree, yes. And I think in the film Gattaca, one of the reasons that I veered away from going back to a film I had already previously discussed or, or delving into something different, I really wanted to focus on Gattaca, is because I think that this film does a, a pretty decent job at highlighting what some of those um, perspectives are, especially when we talk about genetic engineering, something I've only hit on in real basic ways in talking about films like The Unborn, you know, where it's, we want to kind of crop out diseases um, and conditions, but it delves into other uh, areas. So um, I, I think there's some really interesting discussion here. But uh, just to, to kind of frame it again in some statistics, and again this is from the National Human Genome Research Institute, in 2013 it was reported that 148 female prisoners in two California prisons were sterilized between 2006 and 2010 in a supposedly volunteer program, but it was determined that the prisoners did not give consent to the procedure. In September of 2014, California enacted Bill SB1135 that bans sterilization in correctional facilities unless the procedure is required to save an inmate's Life. So again, going back to that idea that, uh, especially um, here in the U.S., we saw a lot of these sterilizations happening in these institutions. And so it wasn't until the 2000s that you had laws that were condemning this. So I think, you know, just something to, to think about. My, this is an important but difficult topic 
to discuss. So let's dig in to films. And first, before we talk about Gattaca, I do want to give just a few minutes about some of the previous films that we've talked about that delve a little bit into ideas of eugenics. So I mentioned films like The Unborn, which I think really from genocide, mass sterilizations, things of that nature into genetic engineering, which is really where I think we grapple with some of the ideas of eugenics today. So we talked a little bit about this where uh, individuals that may have difficulty uh, having children, fertility issues, go in and now with the advancements of medical science, you can basically, uh, in, in these films, as it's kind of purported, you can kind of go in and have a child that's custom made in a way, right? Like you're selecting the kind of traits that you want this child to have. And there's bristling about this, uh, especially on an ethical line. You know, if you're able to go in and engineer a child, um, you know, where, where do the eugenics ideas really come into play? Another film that we've talked about here on the pod that I want to make sure to mention that I think explores a bit some of those ideas around eugenics that um, I think especially within the U.S. and that racist foundation of those ideas, and that would be Get Out. Um, you know, it's very much about, you know, the use of science to create people that have these desirable traits, right? Um, individuals that have what are deemed a physical superiority um, are basically utilized just as their bodies because another group of people are deemed to have the superior intellect. Um, so it's it's almost in a way kind of like a Frankenstein approach. And yes, Frankenstein and the story of Frankenstein, the stories of Frankenstein as it's kind of been told throughout time, I think is also very much, I think, rooted in eugenics about putting together people that have these desirable traits and that being kind of a representation of what man, meaning man in kind of the general human sense, um, is supposed to reflect. So um, also a little bit of Midsommar, I talked a little bit about that. You have an all-white kind of cults. You have the selective breeding of, you know, their oracle. So eugenics has played a part in horror and kind of these various bits, especially in recent times, because I think it's still something that we we grapple with. But let's talk about Gattaca. So going to our good friend of the pod wiki, uh, let's dig in to the plot synopsis. Uh, 
In the not-too-distant future, eugenics is common. A genetic registry database uses biometrics to classify those created as valids, Why, while those conceived naturally and more susceptible to genetic disorders are known as invalids. Genetic discrimination is illegal, but in practice, genotype profiling is used to identify valids to qualify for professional employment, while invalids are regulated to menial jobs. Vincent Freeman, who is at the center of our story, was conceived naturally, and his genetic profile indicates a high probability of several disorders and an estimated lifespan of 30.2 years. His parents, regretting their decision to have this natural birth, used genetic selection in conceiving their second child, Anton Jr. Growing up, the two brothers often play a game of chicken by swimming out to sea as far as possible, with the first one returning to shore considered the loser. Vincent always loses. Vincent dreams of a career in space travel, but is always reminded of his genetic inferiority. One day, Vincent challenged Anton to a game of chicken and beats him. Anton starts to drown and is saved by Vincent. Shortly after, Vincent leaves home. Years later, Vincent works cleaning office spaces, including that of space-like conglomerate Gattaca Aerospace Corporation. He gets a chance to pose as a valid by using donated hair, skin, blood, and urine samples from former swimming star Jerome Eugene Morrow, who was paralyzed after being hit by a car. With Jerome's genetic makeup, Vincent gains employment at Gattaca and is assigned as a navigator for an upcoming mission to Saturn's moon Titan. To conceal his identity, Vincent must meticulously groom and scrub down daily to remove his own genetic material. Past daily DNA scanning and urine tests using Jerome samples and hide his heart defect. When a Gattaca administrator is murdered a week before a possible launch, the police find one of, Vincent, one of Vincent's eyelashes near the crime scene, but can only identify it as from an unregistered invalid, and thus launch an investigation to find who owns the eyelash. During this, Vincent becomes close to co-worker Irene and falls in love with her. Though a valid, Irene has a higher risk of heart failure that will ban her from any deep space mission. Mission. Vincent also learns that Jerome's paralysis is self-inflicted. After placing silver in the Olympics, Jerome threw himself in front of a car. Jerome maintains that he was designed to be the best yet somehow wasn't and is suffering because of this. Vincent reportedly evades the grasp of the investigation. Finally, it is revealed that Gattaca's mission director, Joseph, killed the administrator because he threatened to cancel the mission. Vincent learns that the, that the detective who closed the case was his brother, Anton, who consequently has discovered Vincent's presence. The brothers meet, and Anton warns Vincent about his illegal actions, but Vincent asserts the two swim out at night. 
Vincent's stem, and that surprises Anton. So Vincent reveals that he won by not saving energy for the swim back. Anton turns back and begins to drown, but Vincent rescues him and swims them back to shore. On the day of the launch, Jerome reveals that he has stored enough DNA samples for Vincent to last two lifetimes upon his return and gives him an envelope to open once in flight. After saying goodbye to Irene, Vincent prepares to board but discovers there is a final genetic test and he currently lacks any of Jerome's samples. He is surprised when Dr. Lamar, who oversees background checks, reveals that he knows Vincent has been posing as a valid. Lamar admits that his son looks up to Vincent and wonders whether his son, who is genetically selected, but not all they promised, could exceed his potential just as Vincent has. The doctor changes the test results, allowing Vincent to pass. As the rocket launches, Jerome dones his swimming medal and emoliates himself in his home's incinerator. Vincent opens the note to find a lock of Jerome's hair. So, where I kind of want to start with is at the very beginning where we learn that Vincent is born naturally, conceived naturally. Now, at the time of his birth, we still have this double system of the valids and knee invalids. So those that are uh, genetically engineered are valids. Those that aren't are invalids. And so it's not super common that families would have natural births. They would go to a geneticist who would walk them through the process of genetically engineering a child. So when he's born, they uh, immediately take like a blood sample from his foot and it gives this report, um, which is kind of highlighted in the synopsis, which breaks down like what he is susceptible to. One thing that I will come back to probably a number of times. He is not diagnosed at all with any actual condition. These are all he has a likelihood to have this. So they talk about likelihood for mental health issues, likelihood for this health defect, but at this point, he's not diagnosed with anything. Now, we skip a little bit of childhood. So I think that he is diagnosed with myopia or some vision issues that he has to wear glasses for. But this is all kind of done in a really sketchy way. It's never really defined if he's actually diagnosed with these things or if it's just a doctor reading this, you know, report and saying, oh, well, myopia or vision issues or something that he was susceptible for, so we better get him glasses. This seems to be kind of the prescriptive way that this world works. So when he's very young, his parents go to this geneticist and 
they decide to have a second child and he is the valid. And as the geneticist says, because it's a really interesting conversation that the parents have, you know, they, they're kind of on board with the idea of, you know, screening for some major genetic conditions um, and things like that, you know, using science to improve outcomes in that way, but they still want to leave a lot of things up to chance, as they say. And the Genesis kind of pushes them back a bit from that by saying, like, yeah, but, you know, let's let's go all out because this kid is still going to be a part of both of you, but it's going to be the best parts of both of you. So it's just a really interesting idea. Now, from a very young age, we see uh, that, and we get a voiceover from Vincent kind of narrating this, but as a kid, he was treated as a kid that had all of these conditions that he was susceptible to, although, again, we're not getting any actual diagnosis of these things. And so he's treated as being very frail, as all of these things, but none of this is actually real. He's very athletic. He's a little bit shorter than his brother, um, but he's athletic. He, he just doesn't seem to have really any health issues, but, you know, he's always treated uh, as though he's incredibly sick, and he talks about how difficult that was, kind of in addition to this idea of, you know, just being labeled as an invalid, you know, like, just that terminology, I think, is a really tough thing to, to wrestle with. But overall, his parents seem to care about him. But again, there's just these ideas that permeate of this is our genetically blessed child. And, uh, you know, this is our sick child. And, and the way that they kind of treat them and react to them, especially the father, um, I think is, is really subtly underscored here. But as, you know, they get older, kind of time to go out into the world, and we then see that there's a stark difference of opportunities that are presented to both Vincent and his brother. His brother, Anton, has kind of the world at his fingertips. He can really do anything. He's valid. But Vincent has to go into these low-paying jobs, and it's not really specifically delved into, but there's also kind of like this, uh, you know, you have to be registered. I think we see a lot of institutionalization of invalids as well. Uh, this happens later in the film when um, there is search after it's been indicated that there's an invalid that has infiltrated Gattaca and uh, the police are looking for Vincent and they say, well, let's go where the invalids 
go and basically they go to a prison. So we see these aspects of institutionalization happening as well. So the outcomes that Vincent has um, and the opportunities that he has are, are so confined and limited simply based on this 23andMe report at birth. And so I think it gives us the context and it gives us a little bit more of an understanding of why Vincent would go to the extremes that he does to take on another identity, the identity of Jerome. And let's talk about Jerome because this is also, I think, uh, another little wild uh, component to add into this film. Jerome, played by Jude Law, is a valid, a genetically engineered individual who is supposed to be the best, as he says. But um, when he placed second, he threw himself in front of a car. And this underscores at first one thing, which is the pressure that this system kind of puts on individuals as well. So someone who is a valid that is genetically, you know, supposed to be superior gets second place. And that's supposed to not be within their makeup. So there's a desperation. Uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not living up to what I'm supposed to be. And it's also, I think, very telling that why, uh, while uh, Vincent was, you know, reported to be very susceptible to having depression and I think they mentioned a couple of other mental health issues um, at the beginning, he doesn't. It's Jerome, the depression um, that he feels as a result of this. And so... I like that we get a little bit of this foundational piece here that lets us understand why these two men have kind of locked themselves into this dynamic. So it gives us a little bit more to explore with them. But Jerome, as a result of the attempt on his life, uh, is disabled. He's in a wheelchair. And it's, you know, I, I think it's in the film to kind of underscore this irony of here's this person that is supposed to have no issues, no health issues, no mental health issues, but is in a wheelchair dealing with depression. And what do we do with this? Because now this person also has really no avenues. They can't pursue the things that they are wanting or supposed to pursue um, because of this outcome. So it's it's an interesting kind of dynamic here. You have two people that are essentially boxed in in different ways by eugenics and by this system that supports these ideas. One of the things that really stood out to me about Jerome in 
this rewatch of Gattaca because I've seen this film, I think, not too long after it came out. Um, but in this rewatch, one thing that really stood out to me and, and something that I, I guess I'm, I'm perhaps still wrapping my brain around with the character of Jerome is that he, in some ways, falls into a lot of the tropes and traps that we've talked about with disabled characters. And just kind of a character that's rooted in a lot of sadness and tragedy. He, and thus society and others, don't deem his life worthy because, specifically because of his disability. And so he essentially just gives his life over to Vincent. So that Vincent, who is reportedly the the disadvantaged or the disabled individual can have the benefits. So it's just, I don't know. There's, I know that the film isn't specifically saying something that's ableist, but there's just kind of this ick to it of, you know, at the end of the day, a, a disabled person's life has a very specific lower value than that of someone who can, you know, make the most of these opportunities. It's just, I don't know. It just feels, it feels a little icky to me, but I'm trying to, to really go back to some of the other ideas of the film and see, you know, where this might be coming from, because I don't, I don't think it's, necessarily wanting to tote that line. It's just something that I thought about. So I'd be interested to hear other folks' thoughts, especially as it seems to contrast the storyline of Dr. Lamar and his son. So Dr. Lamar, if you remember from the synopsis, he's the doctor at Gattaca that oversees kind of the genetic testing of folks that are, you know, both participating in these uh, flights, but also I think just kind of the general genetic testing of employees. And so he knows that Vincent is an invalid and his son, who is a, who is a valid, has some issues. It's not really gone into, uh, as a synopsis says, and I think Lamar's direct quote is that he's not living up to his promise or something like that. Again, going back to that idea I just talked about with the character of Jerome and how problematic that can be, but, you know, looking at Vincent as an inspiration of, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I think at the core, that's really what Gattaca is saying around, I think, the basis of eugenics, which is, at the end of the day, this scientific testing is incredibly flawed, especially with how it's being used in society. Just because you may be more likely to develop a condition or have certain complications with your health doesn't mean that that's a 
likelihood. It doesn't mean that you'll necessarily develop those things. And that's really what preventative care is about, right? Like we monitor our health on a regular basis so that we can uh, address issues early on so that they can be treated. Um, and we take measures to, you know, help offset some of that increased likelihood of, uh, you know, these conditions and issues popping up. You know, if we see this all the time with individuals that may have an advanced likelihood with certain forms of cancer, whether it's something as lifestyle choices, you know, making very specific dietary um, choices, anything around that versus more, I think, intensive interventions like uh, an individual that has a very high likelihood of developing breast cancer having a mastectomy so that that doesn't happen. There's ways that our care now looks at not just saying, okay, well, from birth, this individual essentially has this condition. Um, it's, oh, well, they may, they may not. We just want to monitor and make sure that everything's going okay and present options so that if you do develop these issues or a condition, you can explore, like, okay, well, what do we do next? What is the best way to kind of tackle this? and making it a more holistic approach. So I think that, you know, that's an interesting thing. However, individuals that are born with disabilities, I think still face a lot of, and I'm using myself as an example here and thinking about growing up because I have a disability. There were a lot of people that had presumed incompetence about what I was capable of, um, you know, what my abilities were. And a lot of this just, I think, was based on having no fucking knowledge about what my actual disability is. But again, just saying, oh, well, this is the basis. These are the base facts of the disability. So this is exactly... Um, how this presents with Nicole. Uh, a person, two people can have the same condition and it's not going to look the same in both people. And it goes back to some of those other uh, factors that I talked about, uh, other conditions that may be comorbid or uh, you know those environmental social factors that can impact a person's health. Just lots of things that eugenics completely eradicates because of these underlying biases and prejudices. So, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting movie that I think puts uh, a fine point on these things. Whether you're born with a disability or you have an increased likelihood of developing health issues or complications uh, later down the road, in life doesn't impact your worth, your ability to be part of society, 
their ability to contribute to society and live a happy life. Being born with a disability or being born with a genetic predisposition to develop certain conditions or health issues down the line should not change uh, kind of your ability to be part of society. It certainly doesn't and shouldn't impact the way that society values your worth, but it shouldn't impact your ability to be kind of fully integrated and part of society and have those education, those employment opportunities, and just all the things that life has to offer everyone else. Kataka is a sci-fi film, and this is kind of an alternate universe future, a dystopian type of future. But I think that there are still some really real things that it grapples with that I think are really relevant with how eugenics is still um, part of our society today. You know, again, going back to those ethics of genetic engineering and, you know, the conversation that the parents have about, you know, where is the line? Where, where has genetic engineering gone from, you know, wanting just to have a healthy child to getting into something that does get more into practice of eugenics. There's obviously the way that we see, I think, versions of this today, you know, with IVF and advancements in fertility um, measures, there's obviously these conversations happening. Where, where are those lines? And um, it's something that the National Human Genome Research Institute talks a little bit about as well, kind of, you know, some of the work that they're doing in that realm. But I think also, you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that these things are still, I think, coded in everyday life today. Health disparities that we see across race and class, gender, I think are reflective of, of some of these lingering ideas, even just in casual, I think, phrases that, phrases that are used. How many times have we heard someone make a comment about someone saying, well, this person shouldn't be able to procreate, or this person shouldn't be able to have kids, and yeah, there's an undertone of that there. Now, there is a tenet of that eugenics belief of being able to control the reproductive rights of a population because of traits that we deem either desirable or undesirable. So I, it's, it's just a really complicated uh, topic and you know obviously this isn't an exhaustive look at the history of eugenics and its portrayal in media but you know I think this is going to be a topic that I come back to um, because like I said these tenets are 
I think, woven in a lot of different ideas that we see play out in different ways. So, yeah, this has been an interesting film to talk about. Uh, going back and watching it, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's always bizarre going, you know, back a certain period and watching kind of sci-fi movies because the the technology is uh you know one of those things that I think begs you more and more for that suspension of the of belief uh because it's just everything has advanced so much and so quickly but I I think it's a really interesting um, film that I think has a lot of interesting ideas. Um, you know, in talking about eugenics, I've obviously honed in specifically on disability, but, you know, obviously race and class and all of these things are also, I think, a huge part of the conversation. And I don't mean to short shift them by any stretch of the imagination. There's often intersections that um, I think are really important to explore. But this film is pretty, I think, straightforward um, in its approach. So that's kind of why I picked it as, um, you know, kind of the centerpiece, but hopefully talking about, you know, some of the other films that have had some of these ideas in them as well has kind of given a little bit more of that broad perspective because again um definitely worth um i think the conversation so that has been this episode on eugenics again all of the stuff that i referenced um and a couple other pieces that i did for research will be in the show notes i highly recommend if this is a topic that you're interested in to go and do that reading. Um, the history of it uh, is is a hard read, but I think really important. Um, and just, you know, exploring some of those ideas that are still uh, with us today and, and how we balance ethics around certain things is uh, really fascinating. So thank you for listening, for you know, showing me a little bit of grace. Like I said at the very top, I know this isn't a horror film. This is much more sci-fi, but there's some pretty, I think, intense bits and pieces in this film. So with all of that said, a huge thank you as always to Anatomy of the Screen for being the heart and the home of bodies of horror. If you want to reach out, talk about this episode, talk about eugenics, talk about Gattaca, if you have ideas for other films, other topics that you think would be interesting to explore on the pod, I love hearing from folks. You can reach out to me. You can find me on the socials on Twitter, X, Twixt. I am Bodies Horror uh, on Blue Sky. I am Bodies of Horror on Instagram, Bodies of Horror Podcast. And I've been posting over there. With some regularity. I really like Instagram. So um, you can follow me on the socials. You can also send me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. 
Thank you so much for listening and until next time. Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.